everyone. Welcome back to another episode of With Love Alexa. This week, I am joined by Wallace Heckler, who is also one of my favorite people and basically like a little sister to me. She's such an amazing person and a great advocate for mental health and the LGBTQ community. Today, we're going to hear her story and how she got to where she is today. Hey, Wally, you there? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited Hello. we got to do this. Me too. I'm excited. Yeah, so basically what we'll do is we're just going to like talk a little, um, if you want to maybe just tell us a little bit of your story, like how maybe where you came from, just some a inf- uh, little bit of like a backstory. Um, okay, well, my name is Wallace Heckler. People call me Wally. I'm an, I'm an only child. Uh, I grew up in West Bloomfield. I I had anxiety from a really young age. But when I was younger, my parents kind of like, oh, it's just a child. He's just a kid. You know, she'll grow out of it. Um, but as I got older, my anxiety got worse. And I ended up developing a sound disorder called misophonia. And um, from that stemmed even more anxiety and uh, some really bad depression and um, an eating disorder. And then my sophomore year of high school, I ended up having to go away to an institution to help my eating disorder for four months. And um, then I've been I've been ED free for over three years. That's but, amazing! Uh, I'm so proud of you. In that mix, uh, I'm like freshman year. I came out as gay, and my dad wasn't really accepting about that. But now everything is pretty good and I have an amazing girlfriend so and I'm doing I'm doing well mentally so that's about it that's my journey that's amazing um I love your girlfriend too <laughs> I love her like too. my little other little sister um <laughs> can you maybe talk a little bit about like what some of your darkest days were like and kind of like how you managed to come out of it um or if you had any like well, techniques to try and help um, well, one of the, like, main things that kept me going was my dog. She's, like, she's my everything, mm-hmm. sort of. I didn't really have anyone in my house that was there for me or that not necessarily cared about my feelings, but cared enough to help me, I guess, because we were all in our own different states, my mom, my dad, and I. But my dog was always there for me, and so... You know, some days I would wake up only to see her or, you know, like get out of bed just to feed her, you know, because you need to get up to feed your dog, you know, because she's what's important. Yeah. Um, but a lot of days, a lot of the bad days were just kind of empty. I mean, not empty, but everything was just really sad. Like, like I don't know if you can picture it. You, you're like laying down. And this weight is on top of you. Mm-hmm. And like that, and like it just hurts your chest and it kind of like closes off your mind. Then that's like a tiny bit of what it would feel. And the only way I could like get that off is to think about my dog and to take her out. And then you go to school and you put on this like fake aura yep. about being the most happy and, and perfectly okay mentally. And then you'd come home and then you, I would just sleep. So my bad days were just full of like sleep. 
sleep and nothing. Yep. It's like you almost and feel numb. A lot of anxiety. Hmm? It's like you almost feel numb to like yeah, the world. But it's like, like numb in a way where like it's so overwhelming you feel nothing. Yeah, like the numbness is like you're just kind of empty, but like you still like feel it's like the anxiousness of being empty. Not even like not for for me it wasn't like the anxiousness of being empty. It was more of like everything was just so overwhelming. I had so many emotions and so much sadness and so much anxiety that it was easier to just push it aside and become so overwhelmed that you wouldn't even think about it, that like it wouldn't even, you wouldn't let yourself think about it. So you felt nothing, but underneath you knew that there were so many problems and your anxiety was just taking over. It was mainly, it was mainly more, um, like, um, I got panic attacks from my anxiety over my sounds. And because that was such an, it was an always there, it was always present, like there's no way to escape it. It was like, everything was numb because I had so many emotions, I was pushing them aside. But at the same time, I was just so overwhelmed that like my body was on overdrive and that's what kind of made me numb, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's not like, and it's almost like when I say, like numb, I don't necessarily mean like not feeling anything, but it's more like you just don't care about anything. Oh, like yeah. for you as no, your dog, no. you cared about, but like other than that, it was just like kind of living everyday life on like a a circle in a circle, like just never ending. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, like you didn't really care about anything. It was just like you wanted every, like I don't know, I wanted everything to end. Like it's kind of just like, why am I even here? Yeah. No, I. So many people. I've heard so many stories, and it's just we need to try and figure out something to help people. Yeah. I think going to treatment was what helped me the most. Um, What was treatment like, if you want to share? Like, what was it like a day-to-day? Well, I was... So I went to treatment for my anxiety, or not my anxiety, my eating disorder. But it helped overall with a lot of things. Um, My dad did not really believe in mental illness and Mm -hmm. did not believe that I had mental illnesses until I went away for my eating disorder. And that, you know, having all those doctors and all those people behind me validating what I had and validating my feelings, it kind of forced my dad into a reality where it was like, well, she's not making it up. You know, she's not lying. This is actually real. And from that standpoint, it was a lot easier to move forward as a family but mm-hmm. the treatment was, because it was centered around eating disorders, um, like, well, I had, I stayed for about three weeks in an inpatient facility, which is more of a hospital setting, and then the rest of my time of the four months in a residential facility, which is more of a house program. And so in inpatient, you would wake up, you'd take vitals, which is like your pulse, your blood pressure, um, your, I don't know, like your temperature, your weight in the morning. And um, before breakfast, after lunch, and before dinner. So three times a day. Oh, you weren't really sure allowed you're... to exercise or move. Yeah. Um, your meals and snacks were planned out. You, like, they knew what you were eating. You didn't get to decide how much or when or what. Um, and you had, like, group therapy and inpatient. You had one day a week you had art therapy. And it was, like, very regimented and very controlled. And then in residential, we also had our three meals and three snacks planned out. 
but we had a little more freedom in terms of we could decide out of which items we wanted or we could plan our own schedule with a dietitian for eating you know we had limits and requirements on what we had to do but um we got to have a little bit more freedom and we did more activities we had um like a i don't know it was like it was not it was like physical therapy but not when you would have an injury it was more of playing sports or recreational therapy where you go and you work as a team with everyone else in the house and um my residential we had eight eight kids so we would do activities together we had um, like art therapy and recreational therapy and uh cognitive behavioral therapy that was the big thing we'd spend three hours in the morning doing cognitive behavioral therapy which like we would take what we were anxious about or what uh, made us anxious or depressed or had an impact on us and we would do those things to help desensitize us. So for me, a lot of it was through eating and sounds. Yeah. We really worked on my sounds there. And so I would purposefully hear sounds that would trigger me over and over so that I could become desensitized and, and you know, slowly realize that nothing's going to happen to me if I hear these sounds. It's just going to be unpleasant. Same yeah. thing with eating. You know, you would, you would have, you would have to eat a food that was very triggering or that was very hard for you or you know you'd have to touch food that was very triggering or very hard for you because you know you had to realize that it's not the food that's bad it's your mind and you know you have to fix mm -hmm. that yeah so. no that's like it's mm -hmm. an amazing thing that like there are places and people that are willing to help and want to help yeah it's just so sad because they're so mm -hmm. expensive it's like if you don't have good insurance, you're kind of screwed. Right. You know, there are, there are, like, I was very lucky to have amazing insurance through my dad's work that I was able to go to this place, Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. But it's like if you don't have good insurance or you're not insanely wealthy, you there are basically no options for you. The state facilities are, at best, like minimal they do the minimum of, of what is required because right. they don't really have fun because you know it's not it's not so much to go there but because it's not that much to go there they don't have much to work with right and it's really it's like really upsetting and sad because there are so many people out there who need help but it's really selective and you only get to go if you have the money yeah and that's so. like one thing like why you're such a great advocate because you're trying to like help get the word out and maybe one day help make a change thank you You're I hope <laughs> I think you are um yeah, how was like that transition from leaving like the facility and the in like the home to coming back home and going back to school with friends like did people know um a lot of people well okay so my I had a group of close friends that knew and a lot of other people kind of didn't really understand, but a lot of people knew I had anxiety because I would carry around a security blanket with me, which is it's like, um, it's a little, so it's a blanket. It's a tiny blanket that it's very soft. So I can hold it in my hand and it'll give me comfort because of the texture. So it's not a huge blanket, but it's a small security blanket. 
and I would carry that around with me and I got I was able to take tests in different rooms and I got breaks and I I used to scratch and pick at my skin a lot because of my anxiety so people could see and people could tell and so I think when I went away and then I came back people were like oh she was probably either like sick or she went away from for some other reason and they didn't really question it because it wasn't like I it wasn't like I lost hair, like I had cancer, right. or mm-hmm. it wasn't as though I was in a wheelchair. You know, it wasn't something obviously physical. So I'm sure they probably connected the dots-ish. But I had a lot of people who were just like, whoa, I thought you were dead, oh. which I thought was hilarious. But um, it was hard at home because uh, I had done, I was so away from my parents. And the noises were hardest with my parents because I lived with them. Yeah, And it's like, it's the thing where a lot of people with misophonia, it's the house that's the hardest because the people who live with you are the ones you are that the ones you're around almost twenty four seven. So it's hardest to be around them and their noises. So it was it was a real struggle, especially because my dad was now just you know for the past four months he was now just realizing that everything was quote yeah. quote real. So he wasn't really he was still adjusting, and um, my mom was going through her own stuff. She's a great support system and she's a great advocate, and I love her endlessly. Uh, but she was having some troubles for herself too, which happens. And so it was kind of, it was kind of a mishmash of everything. And I didn't do any partial outpatients. So I went straight from residential straight to school. So I had no like half school time to get used to it. I just like started right yeah. in. And I had therapy afterwards. I had um, eating disorder therapy twice or once a week and I had uh, misophonia therapy once a week, and I went to a dietitian, and I went to an eating disorder doctor each once a week. So every single day of the week, basically, I had appointments. But it was it's like I boom right back in, and I yeah. had so much schoolwork to do. So that was really hard. And um, my accommodations, my school accommodations for my sounds, weren't official yet. The teachers that I had 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 been gracious enough to let me take tests out of a classroom, but it wasn't set in stone you know so it wasn't yeah so some of the newer wasn't, I wasn't allowed to do so and it wasn't before set up beforehand so a lot of people were kind of confused and my mom it was it was a very messy situation with the school and my mom and, um so it was it was hard that one year and I lost a lot of friends so uh it was hard for me because I had lost a lot of support system and it wasn't because they were bad people it was because you know, treatment had been hard on all of us and, you know, not only me on them. Right. And, um, so it, it's more complicated than it appears, but I lost a lot of friends. So it was hard for me to come back with like no friend with not no friends, but like two friends instead of, you know, 10 and having a hard time at my house because I wasn't with my parents for four months and I was no longer, with the team that I had spent four months with, you know, my behavioral specialist, my dietitian, my therapist, my, um, you probably made you know, friends my, too. I'm sorry. You probably made some friends too. I did. Yeah, I did make some friends and it's hard cause, cause now, you know, like I don't really even talk to them, but I see them on Instagram or social media and it's, you know, and it's hard because they've all kind of transformed, you know, and it's, it's like, Oh, that's good for them. But also like I miss them and I miss the way it was. And so it's kind of like, you wish you could have it both ways, kind yeah. of. No, I honestly, in a different aspect, but I completely get everything you're saying. Because um, mm-hmm. it can be hard for people to understand like what you're going through. If one, if they aren't going through it, but also 
when it's not a physical thing, like where you can see it. Yeah. Because people just don't understand what they can't see. Yeah. No, my dad, it was really hard for him to accept it because he couldn't see it. And he only, well, both of his sisters have, well, one of his sisters has an eating disorder and was diagnosed with it and went to treatment for it. Never really fixed, but, and then his other one has symptoms of an eating disorder. And so the only reason he really understood that I had an eating disorder was because it was in his family. And when you have an eating disorder, there can be um, physical signs that arise from it. So I was losing a lot of weight and it was, I was, it was those types of things. And so my dad was like, wow, this is real. And so once I went to Rogers, he was like, wow, all the things that I couldn't see because I don't have a microscope and I can't look inside your brain mm-hmm. and your cells and I can't feel what you're feeling. You know, now I understand that those are actually real. And there are a lot of people who think that way. You yeah. know, there are a lot of people who don't have the, the. I mean, it's, it's a tragic, not tragic. It's a horrible thing to have to have a family member or a friend go through something like that. And a lot of people don't have that quote, quote, opportunity. Like it's not a good thing, but sometimes it opens your eyes. And yeah. my dad really didn't accept a lot of it until he became diagnosed with Crohn's, which is a physical illness, but it doesn't have a lot of physical effects, yep. you know, not, <laughs> not in terms of, um, like losing a like leg affecting or your body's, uh, like workings and productions, but the way you look, right. You know, he did lose a lot of weight because in the beginning he had some, it was bad medicine. But, I mean, when you have Crohn's, it's not really something you can look at someone and say, oh, you have Crohn's. You know, it's not like having a disability, you know, such as a wheelchair. Or it's not like having cancer where someone is in a headscarf. Or it's not like having a broken Mm -hmm. arm or something like that. You know, you can't really see it. It's more of like internal workings. And so he really understood once he was, you know, slapped in the face with that type of stuff. And even though it's hard and it's upsetting, like I'm... It's like he needed to go through that because, one, he needed to learn more about himself in terms of other people, and two, he needed to learn about illnesses that are, you know, less visible. Of course, he had more, like, physical symptoms, you know, such as stomach aches, going to the bathrooms, intolerances for digestion and things of that nature that don't necessarily come with all mental illnesses, but it was more of the fact that it was... It was less noticeable to the eye and so i think and like he really got the chance to see how exhausting something can be and how like hard it can be on you like mentally and physically you know it's not just it's not just something you choose to deal with you know so i think that really helped him even though it's sad that he had to go through it it's kind of like i mean i kind of wish everyone had to go through it because then they would really know yeah like i always like to say like for people that don't understand what i go through like being in pain all the time, and um, I always say I wish you could wear the bot. They could wear the bodysuit, my bodysuit for a day. Yeah. Um, I'd like to replace my mind with someone else's. Like I talk to my dad too, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, and I'm like, you don't really understand. Like, do you want to have my brain? Like, I'll I'll trade with you, you know, for a day if you want to see what it's like. Because a lot of people don't really understand. Yeah, no. And Very for me, true. it's not. It's more mental than physical. Physical is more, you know, for you, which is horrible. But we just have different types of pains. But you know, pain is pain. I don't know. It's very, very upsetting. So, 
now like you went through like high school rest of high school you're into your second year at school how was Mm -hmm. your how was your transition like to college had it was it a little easier because you had been away oh it was so much easier i hated high school was everything (laughs) i hated high school um i like the one friend that i kept throughout all of high school well actually two but one of them i took a break from her name is Bella. I took a break from her because of everything that went down with treatment. But my friend Walter was like the only one who really like who I knew from middle school to now that has been with me the whole entire time. I mean, like I've gained friends through the way and I've reconnected with friends. But like since it was only like one person kind of like high school was totally it was just it was horrible. It was a horrible night. And, you know, even when I did have friends, it, there were so many um, mental illness troubles and it was just it was horrible going to college and gaining independence and being away from home and having you know my own room I was lucky enough to get a single because of my um, hearing disorder but you know that that helped as well but having all the independence well not all the independence but independence being able to take because the college I go to you there are no prerequisites so you don't have to take any gen ed classes um, you only have to take a language and PE requirement, but I mean, that's kind of expected for anywhere you go, but I didn't, I didn't have to take any, you know, English 101 classes. So right. I could just start taking any of classes I wanted to. So I jumped into taking classes that I fell in love with and I started, you know, doing a lot of clubs in K, you know, at the college that I go to every Wednesday, it's dog Wednesday. So they have therapy dogs come in Aww. and even though I didn't necessarily make my own food, like I could decide when I wanted to go eat and I could, well, like, and I had gotten much better with that. So that was no longer a concern. Um, but I could, you know, it wasn't like my family is making dinner at this time. So it's either I have to eat before them or after them because I don't sit down and eat with them because of my sound. So it's like, I could decide, you know, and I could be with my friends as much as I wanted. I wouldn't have to ask to go out at night, things of that nature. And so it was, it was a very easy transformation plus we are in trimesters here and i had trimesters in school in high school so it was it was just a breeze and i know for me it's like it was super easy and not a lot of people have that transformation which is i was incredibly lucky but the only thing that really really messed me up was not having my dog yeah you know that was that was the hardest part because she was the one who had been my rock throughout you know from like sixth grade to 12th grade like the my rock and so no longer having her with me every single day, no, lo- no longer be able to pet her was the hardest part. And it still is the hardest part. You know, I can't get over it. I haven't been able to. But other than that, the transformation or the, yeah, the transformation from high school to college was incredibly easy for me. Yeah, well, we're just about finishing up. But I just wanted to ask, um, like, do you have any advice for someone who is maybe just starting to go through um, like treatment or finding out that there's something wrong or they don't know or people that don't know what to do like who to go to like do you have any advice for them um I think I mean I know not everyone are animal people but for me animals really help and so there's no shame and you know because they have service animals and support animals you know there's there's no shame in receiving or getting one of those or looking into one of those and also 
um, there, I mean, like, you're not alone, even though it feels like it. You really aren't. And your feelings are valid no matter who believes you and who doesn't. So I think it's just about finding a community in which people believe you. And you might have to take, you know, you might have to find it yourself. But um, I think, I mean, like, it exists out there. And friends, friends are there for you no matter how much you want to push them away. They're there for you. And you should really take advantage of, you know, them being there and them knowing you and knowing how to help, at least if any. You know, they're not your therapists, but they know you and they know how to help. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Wally. I'm so glad we got to hear your story, and I hope you continue to be forever strong. You're doing amazing things, and I know your future will be bright. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much.